Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we have a lot of comic books to talk about, so let's jump right into it. Let's jump right into it. Right into it. Stop no delay. stalling. Get Stop. into it. We Stop. Get into I know it. what you're doing right now, Pete. and you're blowing it. Don't delay. Don't delay. Masterpiece. Masterpiece number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, who I Alex believe this is a powerhouse team. What a team. Oh, my God. What more do you want? What more do you even want to say? To be honest, let's move on to the next title. No, I'm kidding. So this is them reteaming after Daredevil, after Scarlet, after so many things together. And this is an entirely new tale of a young kid who was abandoned by her parents. She finds out over the course of the issue that, or maybe she knows, that they are two of the world's greatest thieves she gets recruited by a billionaire who wants them to steal wants her to steal something back for him. So that's your setup of this issue. That's the story we're telling. You kind of have a sense if you know Bendis, if you don't believe what you're getting into here in terms of what this looks like, in terms of what this written is like. But Pete, what did you think? Did it hold up to the high standards of what this team has done before? I mean, yes, definitely. I I felt like the art. Wait, sorry, here... let me take it back. Is this book a masterpiece? Oh, there we go. Uh, I definitely think this is amazing. I, uh, the art though. I mean, uh, it's worth it for the art alone. It's, it's super tight nanners that we're talking about over here. It's, uh, it's just so incredible. The the two of them together. It's just uh, it's such a nice. Uh, fitting and yeah i just uh i was super impressed by this um it was a hell of a first issue love all the action excited for more uh i love the pace of it i just uh yeah i think this is a, a great first issue really setting a high bar and they delivered on it there's some really great fun twists and turns in this issue that make it like teen oceans 11 in a certain way just right up front i think that's kind of what they're going for to your point bendis knows how to write for believe and believe knows how to draw the crap out of absolutely anything or paint the crap out of absolutely anything so it's a gorgeous looking book like you're saying um i want a little more of the story but at the same time wait for it come on hold on what i was going to say about this dick Hold on. This to me feels like Bendis trying to get back to his roots in a certain way, like back where he started way before DC, way before Marvel, back when he was doing these just like raw, gritty back crime was... books. What? Oh, I was going to say when he was working at a pizza shop. Yeah, when he was working out of the back of a pizza shop and sometimes he'd slip me selling ideas. Hey, kid, you want to hear a great idea for a story? Uh, like, no, man, I just want my pizza, please. I'm so hungry. <laughs> I've been doing my sports all day, you nerd. 
no, this is this is like back in the day he started in crime comics and this isn't nearly as gritty as this. This is but this is a nice amalgamation of what Bendis has become, which is a family man who really writes for his family and thinks about his family when he's writing stuff, and the old crime comics that he used to do back when he was first starting out. So in terms of this story, it brings together a lot of the te- that. It's a very clear setup with some very clear characters. So I'm excited to follow this story. I'm excited to see where it goes. There's a very fun character that's introduced towards the end of the book that I'm interested to see more of. This feels like a very clear pitch across the plate and another big win for this team. Yeah, I agree. Next up, Moon Knight, number 30 from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Alessandro Capuccio. Big spoiler here that Marvel has been teasing for, I don't know, I want to say 50 months approximately. Moon Knight dies in this issue, you guys. Uh, They have been selling this arc as like, these are the last minutes of Moon Knight. Moon Knight's going to die. And then, spoiler, in this issue, he dies. Uh, So what do you think? Uh, I don't feel good about it. You know, oh, no. uh, I'm not happy one of my favorite characters is dead. Uh, I did like the ending of the book. I did think that that kind of cool last panel got me excited about things to come. But well, uh, I, I mean, here's the artifice of it that they're not even pretending that it's like, uh, we killed Moon Knight. That's it for Moon Knight. There's a new Moon Knight title coming next month. It's from the same team and they're continuing the story they're telling here. So we're not done. Even though in this issue, there's a lot of hay put into the idea that even Kanchu is like, can't bring you back this time, Mark Spector. You're dead for real forever. And he's like, okay, sounds good. Got to stop this annoying noise from making everybody go crazy. That's the plot of the book, by the way. Um, at the end, he is dead. The Midnight Mission has picked up his mission. So I agree with you. Killer splash page there at the end. Yeah. Very fun. Also, I love the weird Bondian villains of Black Spectre and Zodiac being like, no, I wanted to kill him. Don't let me kill him. Some real villain monologuing going on there. Well, some classic Jed McKay, twisty villain stuff happening throughout this book, which I thought was very fun. I just want to see what's next. You know, now that we're past the death and we're building up for this for, I don't know, five or six months or something like that. Like... It's a big deal. Why did you kill him? What's next for the story? What's going to happen there? The The last note that I'll mention that I don't even have any specific commentary on. I was sort of trying to cycle through what are my feelings about this. Mark, as he's dying, says the Kiddush for the dead. Right. Mark is one of our rare Jewish characters. So there was a part of me that was like, now, who are they going to replace him with? Because we just killed off one of the, I don't know, four Jewish characters in the Marvel Universe. Is it going to be another Jewish Moon Knight? I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, so that was a little bit of a bummer. I appreciated them putting it in there. It felt a little weird and inappropriate for him to be doing it for himself. But I don't know. It was a nod to that. So I was okay with it. Um, again, I don't have a fully formed thought there. So you thought it was weird that as he was dying, he was like, I'm Jewish. <laughs> a little bit. A little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Um, you think it would be better if he was like, hey, shout out to my Jewish brethren. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I that's the thing. Like that's why I can't like crystallize a thought here. Is I don't know what I would want it instead right. necessarily. If he was so like, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Oh. Yeah. Nope. Wouldn't have liked that. That would have been bad, Pete. <laughs> but but as is, he was doing the kiddish for the dead. That's something that you don't normally say for yourself. Um, but there's multiple people. Ugh. There's multiple people there in his mind. So I guess that's the reason that happened. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it's strange it's always nice to see jewish stuff in comics and that it's weird to see it as well so if anybody has a more fully formed opinion that they either <laughs> want to throw my way or have me read i would love to see that because i'm sort of just like huh all right <laughs> i have feelings but i don't know what they are yet exactly yeah. uh unnecessary on a podcast where we talk about comic books i don't have to have fully formed and thought out feelings out here let's move on and talk about action comics 1060 from dc comics written by philip kenny johnson nicole maids and steve orlando joe casey art by eddie barrows eber ferreira fico osio and dan mccade the front story is picking right up off of the cliffhanger that we found out the big villain here, Nora Stone, is actually Jaden Al Ghul, the now leader of the Empire of Al Ghul. I, I think that's the name. I think I actually got it wrong. But she comes from a part of the dark multiverse where she is the daughter of Talia Al Ghul and Bruce Wayne. They took over a good chunk of the universe. She was stimmied by Superman back in the Superman Batman Authority special that came out last year. And now she is headed directly for Superman and in particular Superman's adopted daughter. So that's the big thing we're dealing with here. While Superman is recruiting John Constantine to try to get her back. I'll say what I love about this front story is how desperate Superman is to save his daughter. And that's, that's... an emotional place that we never see him in. Yeah, it's really unsettling. Yeah, because he's making dumb mistakes like he's never been a superhero before. You know what I mean? And it's like, what do you know? Superman, don't fall for that trap. That's clear. Yeah. But first off. Well, wait, can I say something else back about up the that? Truck. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. I just want to say something else about that is they don't deal with that in the issue. But I wonder if part of what Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing or what we're going to get towards is the idea that Superman missed all of John's childhood. Like he was a little kid and then he was taken and he came back as a teen slash young adult. So here he is. He's freaking out, man. And it's he's freaking out because potentially the same thing is going to happen again. And that's terrifying to be like, I lost my kid. Oh my God. I had another kid and now I lost that kid. That's awful. So I don't know if they're going to get to that place, but that's certainly what I read into it. And that makes it more palpable and more real. You know, we talk a lot but also, about. At yeah. some point, you you got to stop losing kids. You know what I mean? That's two in a row. It's, yeah. That's well, two in a row, bro. Lose one kid, bro. shame on you. Lose yeah. two kids, shame on I you. I mean, you now know? you're just an asshole. You well, yeah, mean? you're the asshole now. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. No questions on that. No, no questions. Uh, Anyway, my point is just to wrap that up. Like, I don't know if we're necessarily going to get to that emotional place, but that's definitely what I'm reading into there. And it just makes it so much more present. Like, I there's been a lot of discussion lately about superheroes relating to us, and Superman is never a character that I need to be like, I need to relate to Superman. But giving him real emotions where he needs to feel in a place where he's panicked, where he might lose, that's an incredible place to push him to, particularly here 
where it feels earned. Because you're losing your kids all the time. So you know that panic of like, oh, my no God. Idea where they are. I don't know. <laughs> I legitimately do not know. Sometimes what I forget what how many them, I have. I'm like, oh, wait, do I got one two? One of them is out doing crew at theater. When's she going to be back? Literally no idea. Uh, the other one, I was like, well, got to go downstairs, kid. I'm going to tape a comic book show. By the way, there's a bunch of fire because we lit Hanukkah <laughs> candles. Good luck, buddy. Hey, happy Hanukkah, by the way. Oh, thanks so much. Um, all right, so let's back up the truck here. First off, fantastic cover. Um, it gets me real excited to read it. It's nice to see kind of that that joy of like, oh, a cool cover before you read a great comic. Love that. Hilarious start. I mean, can you imagine being drunk and, you know, all of a sudden Superman comes up to you and it's like, hey, I need your help. Oh, man, that's uh, you're in real trouble there. So I, I thought it was a fun start, but then gets real serious. And, yeah, it's just unsettling. But the artist uh, did such a great job of kind of like showing that through still panels. So really impressive work. Uh, this is an awesome-ish. Um, and yeah. to give a shout out to the two other stories, I love how much Nicole Maines and Steve Orlando are sticking with Dreamer. There's a really interesting, complicated story here that picks directly up on last week's Titans Beast World tie-in story about Dreamer, where we're getting Amanda Waller is gunning directly for Dreamer and clearly trying to corrupt her in some way. So that's interesting to read. I thought that was a very good story. I was a little unclear on exactly what was going on in the Zod story in the back. There's a reveal at the end that I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know why I have to be <laughs> excited about this. But I do really like Dan McCade's art on here. Uh, yeah. It feels uh, a little Phil Hester, like a little bit of the sense of that. So yeah. overall, Action Comics continues to be one of the best magazine-style comics on the stands. Like, it always feels like a very complete meal when I read it. And I, I, I love that. Like, I love going into a comic book and be like, I feel completely satisfied. Action comics still killing it after all these years. Also, fun moment. <laughs> Constantine gets a cigarette lit by Superman. I mean, how many people can say they've uh, have that? You know what yes. I mean? Fun Constantine experience. Let's move on to a new one. Under Heist, number one from Boob Studios, written by Maria and David Lapham, art by Heist. David Lapham. Uh, so... In case you're from the title, there is a little bit of a sense of some sort of demonic things going on here. I kept expecting this to be like, we're going to rob hell. That's what we're doing. But that's not exactly what it no, is. No, they're using a tunnel to rob a place because they're going exactly. under well, But the other the thing heist. that they're doing... See, the is ice it, is happening up here, and they're coming from the bottom. Well, they're coming from the bottom, but also the very fun twist here is it's a bunch of regular folks who are like... Oh, these high-class Ocean's Eleven-style robbers are going to rob a bank. What if we rob them? And yeah. I, I love that. I love the simplicity of that. There's, like I said, or was hinting at, there's a bunch of other complicated things that may be going on with this title, but it's very claustrophobic, throwing everything in the subway tunnels here. I yeah. love the concept. Really like the art uh, by David Lapham, of course. I thought this was great. I thought this was a great kickoff to a book. Yeah, yeah, really cool art style. Does a great job of kind of pulling you in with this kind of heist uh, gone sideways. And uh, yeah, scars are important. Scars are important. That's what you always say. Batman Santa Claus Silent Night, number two from DC Comics, written by Jeff Parker, art by Michelle Bandini and Trevor Harrison. We're continuing the team up between Santa Claus and Batman and his team. In this issue, we find out more about the villain 
of course, is Krampus. Or is it? Is there something else behind Krampus that's forcing him to do things that he doesn't want to do? This continues to be exactly what I want out of this title. Pete, I don't think you and I talked about this last week, right? Were you? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, So what do you think about the series so far? Yeah, I, uh, I, I love this. I think this is just a great idea. Well, execution. I don't know, like, how many... Uh, like I feel like they should be kind of like you know two and done or or one and done because they're fun. Uh, I don't want to see like Batman go on an eight arc thing. No, with no, Santa. this is this is a four issue December Christmas event. So there's going to be one for each week of December, and then it's done. Okay, so I got two more. Two more, which All I right. think is fun. It's well, I'm having a blast. It's I'm having a blast with it, but I'm like okay. You know, like, uh, you know. I will also throw out, I mentioned Michelle Bandini's art, which I thought was absolutely great. Like oh top God. tier DC stuff. So cool. It's a little bit of a bummer to me, even though I love Trevor Harrison's art as well, to see like, hey, we're on the second issue. We already have two artists on this, you know, which is kind of like part of the publishing schedule thing. But really good looking book. Very fun. Very funny at points. In a surprising yeah, I love people well. freaking out about Santa. It's fun. Yeah, it's great. Good times. Next up, Spider-Gwen Smash, number one from Marvel, written by Melissa Flores, art by Edith Balam. This is taking Spider-Gwen back to her universe. She is with the Mary Jane. She gets recruited by Dazzler and her band to go on tour with her, starting with Madison Square Garden. Um, I really enjoyed this. Pete, you seemed a little bit more negative, but I will say on the positive end, I like Spider-Gwen. Like Melissa Flores is writing off of the Dead Lucky and other things. And I think she does a good job here with the characterizations. I like the twists on Dazzler and Lila Chady and another character that I won't necessarily spoil. There's also some other twists that I think are coming that, uh, again, I don't want to spoil, but based on the title, you might be able to figure out who the villain potentially might be for the series. But what did you think about this, Pete? Well, I think, you know, if you like Spider-Gwen and if you like Dazzler, then you're going to have a great time with this book. You know, I think it's uh, it's it's got an audience and, you know, the art style is cool. Um, you know, just playing music, fighting crime. What's not to love? You know what I mean? <laughs> you sound so sure there in what you're saying. Well, I, it's not for me. Sometimes you pick sure. up a comic and you're like, I can appreciate that this is a good comic. This just isn't written for me. I think mm-hmm. the writer's unbelievable. The artist was fantastic. I just, you know, like, I, you know, I'm not like, yeah. No, no, I, I totally get it. I will say my one hesitation with this book is I don't love the fact that Spider-Gwen has had so many multiverse adventures now that she's able to be like, oh, that's Dazzler in my universe. Dazzler in several other universes is like this thing. I feel like it complicates it too much instead of just the original Spider-Gwen comics were just like, here's a weird riff on this character because it's another universe. We're not just doing like Dazzler, but dark. It's an entirely different thing, you know? So it is what it is, but I I had a good time reading this. I'm interested to read more and I'm curious to see where they take the villain here. House of Slaughter, number 20 from Boob Studios, written by Sam Johns, art by Letizia Katanishi. I believe this is the last issue of this arc. We've been following this armless little boy who's been tasked oh with finding God. a monster in a foster home. 
it all goes so bad. Oh my god. This issue Pete. Like at, oh uh, so god. sad and as bad as possible. I read this. This has been one of my favorite arcs of this book, hands oh, down. Yeah. Loved reading it. And to end it in this way where it's like, nope, everybody loses. Goodbye. Was Goodbye. Bye. So sad. I, I appreciate how many going arms. for it, but it goes so hard in that direction. Yeah. It's I, I mean, first off this comic is great for a lot of different reasons, but also the fact of like, every time you think you're like, Oh, I know where this is going. Nope. No, you don't. And one of the scariest last panels, like I am creeped out by dolls. If I walked into a room and all the dolls heads were facing a different direction like that, I would fucking burn the place down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would be like, uh, nobody's ever allowed in here again. <laughs> like this, it's oh, I would. It's so creepy. Yeah. It's so. Uh, I mean, dark. I think a lot of that is up to Leticia Catanici's art, which is a perfect pairing with Werther Daria over on Something Is Killing the Children. It's yeah. just such a good complement to flesh out this world. Like it feels of a piece of it but has its own it's more exaggerated i think than what what this is doing it takes bigger like creativity swings but also has this realism i it's also like the way it portrays motion is really cool Mm -hmm. oh it's it's just it's so artistically beautiful but also poignant uh it's it's an unbelievable book and the the art and writing are just you're along for a journey man can I throw something out there that this just occurred to me? This is again an unformed opinion, but and it's I, I think it's almost too early to say this. Something is killing the children is maybe the new Sandman. And what I oh, mean wow. by that is it's this new universe that feels fresh and different from anything we see in comics. It's clearly selling incredibly well and capturing a lot of imaginations, but House of Slaughter is a fantastic spinoff of it in the same way that we got a lot of Sandman universe spinoffs. There's another one coming. I think it's House of Butcher as well. Like they're just expanding this world and it's it's creating its own mythology in a very new and exciting way that feels totally consistent throughout. So good stuff. Every con I go to, I see people rocking the... the oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Like, it's cool that people love this and are kind of, it's... Killing children, honestly. It's <laughs> it's that. killing it. It's yeah. killing it. Okay, the comic is killing yeah, it. Yeah, and to be clear, we said killing it, we're saying, like, uh, no, we're not. not nope. the children. Nope. We're, well, we're not saying killing the children. Yeah, we're pro... Oh, God. No, killing I'm children? Not gonna... <laughs> Where are you going? Where are you going with this? The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. 
Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. We gotta get out of this cul-de-sac, Pete, and talk about Batman City of Madness before we go City of Madness! Number two from DC Comics by Christian Ward. Goddamn, this book is good. This is a black label book, uh, so it is out of continuity. The first issue, we saw Batman dealing with some strange things happening to his villains, particularly with Two-Face, who now has a horizontal face as well as a vertical face. And there is a Cthulhu-esque Batman who is breaking through as well. In this issue, it all gets blowed out. We find out pretty much exactly what's going on, though there's still some hints of revelations to come as the Court of Owls reveals all to Batman. Specifically, spoilers here, there is a Gotham under Gotham. An under Gotham. An under Gotham that is the City of Madness and is leaking through into regular Gotham, which is, let's be honest, not that scene on a regular day. Um, God, this is so good. Christian Ward's art is so experimental particularly in terms of the way that he's structuring this stuff i love the horizontal two-face i love the cthulhu batman i love the city of madness under the city all the stuff with the court of owls in particular i want to say that like i've never been enthused with any court of owls storyline since the initial one because it always feels like it diffuses their power a little bit this is the first time i've read a court of owls thing where it feels right, like they're used in the right way. I love this book. I well, first off, holy fucking shit! That cover is unbelievable. Just so cool. Artistically, this is just such a, a huge, huge, just spot on uh, creation here. It's really worth it for the art alone. Um, yeah, I just kind of feel bad for Batman because at this point, the quarter hours are like, hey, remember when we melted your mind and said, hey, you know, you think you know Gotham, but we've been operating for years and you had no fucking idea. Well, also, uh, there's a Gotham underneath <laughs> Gotham where everybody has an eviler version of themselves. So surprise again, Batman, you suck at knowing your own city deuces. Uh, yeah, this is insane. This is really insane, but artistically, it's fun. Well, to your point, I think that's why it's working for me, because the Court of Owls was the secret that undermined everything that Batman knew that was true. Yep. And essentially what they've turned to, without slacking off anybody's storyline, is Illuminati, that they're like, ooh, we're a secret society and we're controlling things. Exactly what you said. This isn't like... Oops, Gotham's actually some, not what you thought it was. It's something entirely different. And that's what it's getting to. That's also the power of what you can do in a black label book is you could just be like, whoops, we're throwing everything out. And how is this going to end up? Maybe Gotham's going to be gone. Maybe Batman's going to be gone. We don't know because it doesn't matter because it's out of continuity. So love it. What? I think they were sitting around in a black label meeting, like, what do we, what can we do? What can we do? What's hot right now? Stranger things, the upside down. Gotham has an upside down. Let's go. Somebody... Who, is that in, who is that an impersonation of? I don't know. Mr. DC? 
Yeah. I'm Mr. DC. And I, I come up with great pictures. ideas. I go City ideas. of Madness, Gargoyles of Gotham, more Batman, 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 Batman. There's at least two Batman books you didn't review in the stack this week. Anyway, <laughs> Daredevil Gang War, speaking of things that are a lot of books. Number one, from Marvel, written by Erica Schultz, art by Sergio Devia. In the Gang War storyline, the gangs of New York are vying for territory. Meanwhile, Spider-Man has his own team who's aiming to take down the gangs one by one. And here for following Elektra, who is the new Daredevil, as she yeah. fights back against one of the specific gangs. Um... I'll say what I loved about this book, Erica Schultz has been writing Hollow's Eve that has been punching so far above its weight in terms of what you expect from that book and what it delivers. And I think she 100% does the same thing here with Daredevil Gang War. This, I don't know if this is the first time that Electra Daredevil has been written since Ship Zdarsky's run, but 100% perfectly captures that character and throws her into a situation that I was not expecting with this whole gang war thing, but is really intriguing and feels like an amalgamation and extension of 90s comics in the absolute best way. Wow. That's, uh, that's uh, yeah, phenomenal. I, I, I just think that, like, first off, cool map in the beginning. I'm a sucker for a map. Uh-huh. Uh I'm loving Electra's Daredevil. Wait, Pete, uh, Justin and I talked about this because we figured out Justin lives in Bumbler territory and I live in Hobgoblin territory. Um, are you bummed out that you no longer are ruled by a crime lord of New York? Uh, uh, no, no. That's the Is there one that people. you're coveting that you would love to... Wait, when you lived in New York, what territory would you be in? Do you know? Uh, I was... You're getting it up? That do or die, bed die is... Uh... Where I was here, oh yeah, I should pull it up here. I have it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's Hobgoblin as well. Ah, uh, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And hang on, hang on. Oh, this is not good. <laughs> and and for... we don't have Miles Morales in the stack. I should have put that in. There was a moment where I was like, I should put that in because that's where I live, man. But oh, I opened the Luke Cage one, which was not the one we're talking about. No, no, but that has the map. That has the map as well. It, oh, well, maybe in the back. This is great. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, do you um, like this section? Should we do this more often? <laughs> oh, here it is. Here it is. It is in the back. Wait, no, I'm not hobgobbing. Oh, yeah, I am. That little part that stretches down. Damn mm-hmm. it. It's I am. The map is not to scale, so it's hard to tell, but. Hobgoblin. How about Hobgoblin's got Brooklyn? Who's right that below sucks. Hobgoblin? It's like the Enforcer. What does it say? Mm, might be the Enforcer. The Enforcers and then Bumbler. Mm, yeah. Justin's definitely Bumbler. I might be the Enforcers. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. Marvel, hit me up. Let me know where Sunset Park is on your map. I would love yeah, to know that. Super important. Uh, but I like the fact that we did get to get into Electra's head a little bit. I also really like the new villain kind of showdown we great yeah. we get. I love the battles. It's great story stuff. Love the art. Uh, I enjoyed this very much. Yeah, and I... I still feel weird about the idea of Electra being Daredevil, but why? Uh, just because her, she has her what, own identity. That's okay, and there's also a Daredevil. Sometimes you gotta, you know, cover for your friend when they get super religious. Here's what I'm gonna and say: you gotta pick up the slack. It looks cool. The Electra's curly dark hair, just sort of spreading out over the costume. 
it's so great for artists to play with. It just looks absolutely cool. I love it. So you're cool with it because of the hair is what you're saying out loud. Yes. Okay. Cool, man. Awesome. I I admitted to that. Is that wrong? Did I I, I I expose some weird fetish or something? Is that what's happening? I don't know. It's like you're like uh, watching a, a... My wife has curly hair now, so it reminds me of my wife, and I love my wife, so I love Electra, I guess. Oh, that's nice. Oh, your your voice went up. That means you're lying. Kill More, (laughs) number three, from IDW. Kill More! Kill More! From IDW, written by Scott Bride Wilson, art by Max Allen Fuchs. This takes place in a town that has been mostly left behind by industry as people have left for mars and instead a bunch of serial killers have been coming to town we have two caps cops that are trying to track them down and find out what's going on this issue is a big mythology issue for this series and i was very excited to get that because frankly for the first two issues i thought this was kind of like a vibes series of just well, city's falling apart, bunch of serial killers, here we go. But nope, there's a much bigger plot that they're playing with here that they start to unravel in this issue as one of our cop characters starts to unravel in a big way as well in kind of a very scary way. Love the art in this book. Love the design of the serial killers. Love the fact that, like, uh, Scott came up with just apparently an innumerable amount of new serial killers that are just rolling into town one day after the other. It's wildly creative, beautiful and terrifying and gross to look at. Um, you know, while I'm making comparisons to stuff, it feels a little like a classic Grant Morrison book in a certain way. Uh, I'm it, thinking of, oh my gosh, well, Transmetropolitan, just because it was like, crazy gross sci-fi stuff that felt very grounded in characters and weird things happening at the same time um i really like this book what do you think it, it reminds me of uh eon flux the way they would kind of like, oh, get yes. close on faces yes. and people's mm-hmm. faces were like slimy and gross and kind of gritty um yeah it, it's uh it's really fucked up and uh dark and scary and uh Makes me think uh, all people are evil slime balls, but uh, yeah, I mean it's also very cool. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to see how this rolls out. Particularly, of uh, I know we're not spoiling it here, but the events of this issue, the reveal that maybe there's some sort of uber villain behind everything that's going on. Very interesting, great stuff, but also about the collapse of society that's happening right now. So scary in its own way. Let's move to another Batman Black Label book, Batman Gargoyle of Gotham, number two from DC Comics by Raphael Grandpa. This is, I want to say, kind of inspired, it seems, by the Batman. Like, it looks a little bit like the Batman costume. It looks a little bit like Robert Pattinson in this book. This is Batman who's brusker, just wants to give up being Bruce Wayne and just being Batman. And at the same time, we have a bunch of new terrifying villains that are attacking Gotham. I know I was not as enthused about the first issue of this, though I love the art. Pete, you did love this. What did you think about the second issue here? Well, I I don't I, I first off, I, I agree with you. I the art is like really impressive, like some really iconic panels here. 
um really love the kind of style of it it's very cool the uh it's a fucking badass cover for sure um i don't like batman's a real douchebag mm-hmm. in this which um i don't know uh but yeah um I like the other villain reveal we got in this. A lot goes down in this issue, so I'm I'm liking it overall. I'm just not sure, you know, this isn't my Batman, or I'm not kind of like aligning with this Batman. Well, you know what I mean? To that point, I think I think there's something interesting in the idea of Bruce Wayne being the one percent and being derogatory towards the other ninety nine percent. You know, that's essentially what's going on here. You have protests. And Bruce Wayne is playing directly into the talking points that they're looking for. That's interesting. The problem is there's too many other things going on in the book at the same time. You've got at least two villains who are both very cool and interesting to look at. But I don't... Make a great entrance. And Yes, they make a great entrance and everything looks great. Maybe this will come out on the last issue. But I don't know how all this connects as a story yet. You know, not to contrast it directly, but I will with City of Madness. That's something that has a very clear point of view, very clear story going, and you could hook into it. Here, I'm not 100% sure what the idea is. You're only heading in so many different directions. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Three, I think. Yeah, so you got one more to clarify everything. So what, what's your problem? Yeah. Uh, well, I do it's think... the same thing with my life. Like, I'm two-thirds through my life. I got the last third to be like, great. Figure really, it all re- out. That really wrapped it up very nicely. <laughs> yeah, as long as you stick the landing. Uh, I, I think also that, like, there is so many Batman villains now. Like, now we got this, like, it's all in the pronunciation where it's like, I'm moth or you're like oh your mother no no i'm a moth you're like mother yeah uh, are, so, we, yeah. are we just trying to create batman I, 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 do we like, do, lo- do we look through a book of animals is that what we did <laughs> what happened you know but badass looking totally really very scary entrance. gorgeous yeah. gorgeous looking book yeah uh, the story is maybe a little bit of the problem here but we'll see what happens in the next issue punisher number two from marvel written by david propose art by dave wachter we got a new punisher joe garrison who was on the rampage he doesn't even really want to be called punisher he's just trying to get justice for his family that was killed. And we got a big twist here in terms of his origin and what's been happening as he tracks down the offer, a semi-forgotten mob-style character in the Marvel Universe who has ex- existed previously. Pete, as our number one Punisher fan on the podcast, what do you think about this issue? Well, uh, Joe Cool, as I like to call him, you know, he's like, whatever. Uh, I guess people are calling me the Punisher uh, because I wear stuff that looks like the Punisher and I'm kind of doing what the Punisher is. But yeah, if I'm, I'm punishing you want to put labels on me, I guess I'm also kind of contributing to this Punisher uh, moniker. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than the fact that it's the Punisher, but it's not the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be having a lot more fun. Um, it's a badass book. It's really cool. A lot of cool shit happens. It's got unbelievable art, but it's like, yeah, stop calling me the Punisher. I'm technically the Punisher, but don't. 
but don't. You know? Well, I, w- I want to talk about that in a second, just to talk about the book itself. I thought there's a great twist here in terms of his origin that I thought was very nicely done. I won't spoil it here. I also think David Popoa's uh, scripts out a lot of very fun action sequences. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's having a blast with this. You can tell it jumps so right off good. the page. There is a Looney Tunes style bit that pays off so nicely in this book. I thought it was absolutely lovely. Also regurgitating these like very second stringer villains in this book is very fun as well. So I really had a blast reading that in the greater thing that you're talking about with the Punisher, the big thing that I was struck by in this issue in particular is like, the the most blunt way of saying it is what what is the point here like and what i mean by that is if the punisher is a problem as a character you removed frank castle got him to a place where he said i'm not the punisher anymore i'm just a guy leading a bunch of kids in weird world and it's like okay cops have co-opted the punisher symbol to commit crimes on people. Criminals have co-opted the Punisher symbol. White nationalists have co-opted the Punisher symbol. Let's figure out a new way to do it. And if the answer, and I don't think this is what was necessarily going on here, but reading this book, it's hard to separate it from like, great news, everybody. The Punisher is now a new guy named Joe Garrison who still wears a skull. I'm like, no, 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 that wasn't the problem. That was not the problem with the character. It was not good. Good news. We changed the name of the guy and made him a little bit different. (laughs) He used to be a shield agent. Uh, It seemed like Vietnam was the problem. That wasn't it. That was was not the problem we're having here, everybody. (laughs) So I don't know. Again, like this is not, I'm not throwing blame. Like we've, interviewed david a bunch of times he's a super nice guy and i think he's doing a great unbelievable job right i'm not throwing like any editors or writers or anybody up into the bus so like legitimately i have no idea what the background story here is but it's hard to read that book without that impression being being like it's okay we took care of it we took care of the problem and well i i don't know what the i mean yeah you can have more than one punisher you know whatever man you know as long as the story's good yeah you know? And it is. It's fun. I'm having a fun yeah. time reading this. I am. This is like, and maybe that was the idea, to get it away from the whole, I don't know, Frank Castle live it all, but that seems unnecessary. Regardless, fun, twisty story. I'm willing to follow this as long as this goes. Let's move to a crazy dark book, Dark Spaces Dungeon Number 2 from IDW, written by Scott oh Snyder, God, art by dude. Hayden Sherman. This Jesus is basically... Christ. There should be a fucking warning on this fucking thing. <laughs> so, in the first issue, we found out about this serial killer who's not even a killer, just traps people in Saw-style traps underground and keeps them alive as he tortures them. We have a detective who was tortured in this way, who was coming directly for the serial killer. I, I call him a serial killer, but again, he's not killing people. He's keeping them alive. Um, this is basically, what if Scott Snyder wrote Seven? What do you think? And it's harrowing to read. Like, legitimately... I was not ready for that ending, and oh, I don't... Jesus I... Christ. Hayden Sherman's <laughs> art on this book oh my God. is so disturbing, the way the things are paced out. They are a perfect team work together. I hate it, <laughs> but 
like I hate it just emotionally reading this book because I'm like, no, this is so dark. I'm so sad and upset this, right now. This book messes me up so much that I want to call all my friends and just be like, listen, if you don't see me for a couple hours, come look for me. I don't want this ever to happen. And they're going to come find you and be like, oh, you were just watching Ted Lasso again. I was just watching Ted Lasso in the corner. It's cool. But it's so fucking scary. In the corner? Yeah, they just didn't even look over. I was right there. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a TV there or is it just like a laptop that you sit in the corner? Uh, it's just a laptop, yeah. Red rum style, like you're yep. like a little just like sitting there yeah. in the corner, the light flicker. Just face. rocking back and forth, yeah. Oh, sweet, man. This book you know, is really do. well done. It is very tense and very it's, intense. It's a real horror from this team. Uh, I'm very impressed. If you're into horror, you're going to love this. If you're like, oh, man, I hope this isn't scary, d don't read this. <laughs> it's so fucking scary, man. Like, I don't like horror. I'm happy to say that like hey this is other people will enjoy this but i read this so you don't have to <laughs> don't, don't yeah. do it man this, this is phenomenal as a horror fan i will say this is really well done in the vein of a saw in the vein of a seven this is the sort of thing this is obviously not the end goal but this is the sort of thing that i if somebody doesn't pick up as a movie i don't know what no don't make this i don't oh my god no great movie too great scary movie to Let's move on to something that I have a feeling we might fight about, but I guess we'll see what Yay. happened. Danger Street number 12 from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fornes. We finally finish it up here as the dingbats of Danger Street and all of our other various characters reach some sort of resolution. Um, I won't spoil too much up front about it. I haven't been a big fan of the series. <laughs> <laughs> to be frank, uh, I felt like I don't know exactly what Tom King is going for here other than Kirby mashup and that's it. But I want like more emotional resonance. I want more thematic to understand what's going on here. Love Jorge Fornes's art. Oh my God. The fight issue, issue nine, I think that happened on the rooftop is regardless of how I felt about this, one of my issues of the year, like legitimately just a standout single issue, but I haven't loved it. You have at the very least loved a helmet yelling at you, Pete, if not the rest of the issue. What did you think about this final one here? Okay. So I got to say, I've been having a blast, just loving danger street. Thought it was really great. Love the helmet screaming at you at the start here. So super happy with how this started. Ending wasn't great, <laughs> but uh, great art overall. I I had a blast. It just uh, you know some some don't stick the landing. Yeah, I I don't know. This is the sort of thing that I'm sure somebody could explain this to me. And be like, no, the, here's what you missed about Danger Street. But just on the surface, reading this uh, to paraphrase Doctor Fate's helmet. I feel like this is the sort of thing where, like, stories are stories, and sometimes stories continue, and goodbye? <laughs> and that's what this issue felt like to me, and I was like, what are, what was this? This was a bunch of characters who did a bunch of Yeah, but of it things. was fun! I, I feel like all this was, 
Dude, I, you just said the issue before was one of the greatest issues no, of all time. No, not issue nine out of 12. Like, there oh, was sorry. one issue so that I was like, that, that was great. The rest of the issues, I feel like, maybe I'm wrong about this, but this feels like Tom King saying one of the things about Jack Kirby, which is correct, is he set up these cosmologies for universes and was like, here you go. Here's a new scripture. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, and he explored it in crazy ways, but mostly it was like, enjoy everybody. And I think that's what Tom King is doing here is paying tribute to Jack Kirby in that way. But that's not what I want out of modern comics storytelling. I want something, particularly for something that is a 12 issue series. I wanted to tell me a story then rather than be like, here you go. Some things happened. Lady Cop did some stuff. Now there's some new Digbats. What do you think about that? I don't know. Maybe maybe there's another issue out there. Imagine it. Um, what if you imagine? Um, imagine Danger Street 2. I don't know. Whatever. I don't want to be too negative about it because this team is very good, but this just did not work for me. Well, I think there were some great ideas explored. I think... Um, sure. I think there was some really unbelievable comic panels and moments, and it was a blast. And sometimes you have an ending that's like, you know. So. An arm crawls out of a plane, and it happens sometimes. Yeah. And Metamorpho's like, thanks, arm. It's like, oh, yeah. I got my <laughs> oh, arm yeah. back. It's, it's a very Kool-Aid style issue. Kool-Aid man. Uh, yeah. Issue. It's just All right. sometimes you got to end a sketch by a Kool-Aid man jumping through a wall and yelling, oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Great comedy reference. That's totally true. Uh, Immortal Thor number five from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Martin Coquello. We've got Storm. We've got Thor, we've got Loki, we've got Beta Ray Bill. They're playing hot potato with Mjolnir to fight the original Thor, the Utgard Thor, the Utgard. one who exists in myth. Basically, this is Al Ewing being like, hey, you know, we have this Marvel Comics Thor. What if there was actual mythic Thor out there somewhere? And he was like, yo, what are you doing? I'm coming back for the Earth. I love this so much. Like the play on Norse mythology is great. Martin McCoquello's art is great. Like there's one panel in particular of Loki happily swinging Mjolnir that is going to stick with me for a very long time. Like it's just, there's something so dynamic about that. I love what they get to, how Thor eventually, spoiler, beats this. Yeah, it's Thor really here. fun. It's a oh. real, it's a real crazy emotional roller coaster that is worth it. I also love the moment where it's like, it's kind of like a little kid playing with the Frisbee where it's like, mm -hmm. hey, be careful, you got to throw it up on the roof. And it's like, the guy's like, yeah, what happens when I take your hammer away? You know, and you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> he just took the hammer. <laughs> so much fun. And I've talked about this so many times on this podcast and other podcasts, but what I think this book is getting towards right now that mostly people miss is how myths actually work. Like people think of something mythic as something epic and big and just life-changing. And most of the time it's like, nope, we did a little trick. Goodbye. And that's true with Greek myths. That's true with Norse myths. It's true with most myths where it's usually these little 
fables, frankly, like not to use an interchangeable word, but fables with a moral that's going on there. And it's awesome. Yeah, I I just I think that this was such a cool idea idea and so well executed. Also, the fun twist of like, I just want to mention this for anybody who's watching on the YouTube version. I am laughing right now because you were so still. I thought you were frozen. Like I, thought, oh. like that's that was the most still I have ever seen you in the sixteen years we've been doing the show. Very impressive. Oh, okay, weird. Uh, yeah, now I've completely <laughs> lost track of what I was saying. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know. Stop! <laughs> now you're freaking me out. <laughs> Um, I was going to say something. What did you say before that? Nobody knows. <laughs> I was talking about myths. I was talking about myths and like just yeah, how yeah. this is like legitimate myths. This is a great book. Oh, oh that, yeah. yeah. What I liked also is, you know, the twist of like, oh, yeah, you want to you want this? Cool. Try it. And then someone being like, oh, my God, your life is awful. Feelings? <laughs> Uh, trying to be good. Oh, this sucks. I'm out of here. It's just hysterical. As a conclusion, I thought this was great. I'm really interested to see what this book becomes going forward. It seems like we're going to have a times past style issue, next issue, focusing on an old tale of Thor and Loki. But where this goes, this is a great team, art-wise, writing-wise. Very excited to follow it. From the world of minor threats, the alternates, number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by Patton Oswalt, Jordan Bloom, Tim Seeley, art by Christopher Mitten and Tess Fowler. There was a enormous twist in the last issue where the team that we've been following, who we thought in a crossover-style event, went to an alternate universe, were set on essentially like a side mission miniseries and then came back addicted to this thing called Prestige. We followed them in an addiction recovery group. They ultimately found that Prestige was coming back into their city and decided to shut it down. What they found out last issue, that we find out this issue is true, is they are, in fact, the alternates. They are the imaginary characters who was created by the original team when they used Prestige, and now they need to fight themselves as well as dealing with the fact that they don't exist. Um, the mental and emotional places both this and the original Minor Threats series go to are so deep and intense and so smart. I love this universe. I am fully on board. I thought this was a fantastic conclusion that gets to some really complicated places. I know I mentioned this, but the last, I think it was the last issue where we saw some characters from minor threats i cannot wait to see like whatever's next and some sort of cameos from these alternates characters as well this is great this is my favorite new superhero universe yeah i uh they really stuck the landing i really thought that they concluded this in such a great way uh emotionally and just oh it's just really impressive it's funny it's it's emotional it's just such amazing art and great storytelling uh the world it pulls you into is just it's it's great it's really impressive 
Really good. I hope they do more of these, and I'm sure they will. DC's Twas the Might Before Christmas, uh, number one yeah. from DC Comics. You get it. Written by Zipporah Smith, Rob Levin, Ethan Sachs, Natalie Abrams, Jillian Grant, Michael W. Conrad, Josh Trulio, and Sholy Fish. Art by Logan Faber, Bob Quinn, Sue Lee, Marcus Moss Smith, Rebecca Isaacs, Gavin Guidry, Andrew Drillon, and Juan Bobillo. This is, of course... A collection of short stories set around the holidays with various DC characters. As usual, lots of stuff going on here. But what did you think, Pete? I mean, this is just a great collection of uh, stories. Some amazing, amazing teams on here. Love the first story. I feel like it's a Squirrel Girl meets Teen Titans. Uh, I love the second story with Harley Quinn. Great art. Um just love the kind of like Harley being a roller derby badass, just like so cool. Then you had the old uh, Lex Luthor's Scrooge, Bah, bah Humbug. Yeah, you suck, Lex. Um, yeah, just amazing art. Superman story was very touching, helping the dude. And then the Batmite is just hilarious looking, really fun. Uh, I loved it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like a Ren and Stimpy kind of art style, mm -hmm. which was really cool. Uh, yeah, just overall, just really impressive collection. I didn't feel like there were many misses there. Yeah, I feel like we're broken records at this point with these sort of DC collections, but they do a good job with these anthologies where every time legitimately every time i'm like oh god here we go the, yeah here we yeah, go yeah, i gotta god, put this on here couple, yeah, yeah. 80 pages oh this is yeah. so much that i read it i'm like no that was fun <laughs> <laughs> exactly i was and, like oh wow well, yeah oh yeah art's good red is good so yeah. yes if you're looking for a fun holiday collection there's also a batwoman Hanukkah story from natalie abrams who was one of the writers of the batwoman tv series so very fun as well good stuff yeah. Rogue Son, number 17 from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel and Marco Renna. This is fighting a battle on two fronts. On one, we've got our main character. Our main Rogue Son is inside the Sunstone. He is fighting with his dad, not fighting, fighting alongside of his dad against other Rogue Sons to try to escape from the Sunstone. Meanwhile, somebody else has taken over his body and recruited a bunch of villains we have his two step siblings have now have powers and are fighting against them. I gotta be honest, I feel like maybe we skipped a month or there's something missing there because I was like, what is going on? There was so much going on in this issue. But at the same time, the action is so well drawn by Abel and Mark Arena. I yeah. love where we end up here. You know, a lot of this is a massive verse book, and a lot of these massive verse writers were recruited from Power Rangers titles and came in or like, we can't do certain things on Power Rangers titles. Let's go hog wild here. That's what feels like what happens at the end with Rogue Sun here. I'm not spoiling it, but it's something I read and I was like, oh, that is such a Power Rangers move. But I loved it. I had a good time. I love this book. Yeah, I also really love this book. I loved all the action. I love all the kind of like fire uh you know kind of uh, look that they have to their when they're suited up mm -hmm. which is really cool but it's weird that like it's not real fire because you have the panel where the guy's hugging his mom and i was like but the there's fire around your neck you can't mm -hmm. just hug your mom 
but I guess it's like uh, not real uh, kind of fire. So it's just performance fire, you know, where it looks cool, but it's not real. One other thing that I'll big up about this book is I think the massive verse has really struggled with villains, like coming up with villains that feel clear and iconic. Rogue Son does not have that problem. There are so many villains in this book that are like, oh yeah, I know who that is and I get what that is. And that is a super fun villain that is a giant werewolf vampire bat who's tying through. That's great. So that's a, another like laudable aspect of this book is it just keeps throwing villains on the pile that I love, that are interesting, that are fun. It's really setting itself up for a very long life here, and I'm, I'm having a very fun time. Great. Detective Comics 1079 from TC Comics by Ram V and Dan Waters, art by Jason Shaw and Alexander, Liam Sharp, and Juan Ferrara. There are two stories in this book. In the front story, we have had Batman is taken over by a demon and has been hung in Gotham City Town Square, Catwoman, as we found out last issue, launched a rescued effort that failed. Here we get the, I have called Ocean's Eleven out now for the third time of this podcast, I believe. But Dude, the Ocean's what's Eleven, your deal? You got that I mean, like, it is like it's the Ocean's Eleven that... flashback where they're like, that's what you thought was happening. But really, here's what we were doing the whole time. And then we also get a tale from elsewhere in Gotham taking place at the same time in the backup story. This is a gorgeous book, I gotta say. Like, particularly Jason Sean Alexander. Oh my book. god! I think he's known best for Spawn, and that really comes through and what they're doing in this arc. Really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, crazy ass cover. It looks amazing. Uh, hell of a first panel. Uh, you know, uh, just art is crazy tight nanners. Yeah, worth it for the art alone. Uh, love the ending. So fucking cool. And uh, Mr. Freeze looks amazing in this mm -hmm. comic. Totally agree. I mean, you've also got beyond Jason Shaw and Alexander, you got Liam Sharp. Like, I would pick up anything that Liam Sharp draws. Nothing against Juan Ferrara, who is also very good. Uh, but this is another very good package from DC. Great White package. Widow. Type toy package. White Widow number two from Marvel, written by Sarah Galley, art by Alessandro Baracolo. White Widow is Yelena is just trying to live her life in a small town and figure out what she likes as a human being. And of course, supervillains keep coming up in her grill, you oh, know, man. and interrupting her. There's such a great sense of humor in this book in particular. Yes. I love all the little dialogue boxes about what she likes and loves and hates as she's going through a farmer's market. Just a very fun sequence in particular. Yeah, I love they do such a great job of getting uh, her voice down. It really feels like the actor who plays her from the TV and movies like that feels like the voice I hear when I read it, which is really cool. Um, yeah, just comedically used well, which is great. You can see them walking around shopping. I also love the banter with Wolverine. Had a great time there. Uh, yeah, this is just... Uh, Fan-fucking-tastic art and uh, a great story, so uh, well done. Yeah, very fun book. I totally agree with you on it sounding exactly like Florence Pugh, so if you're a fan of pew her pew. in the pew pew, if you're a fan of her in the movies, definitely pick this up. Zawa plus the Belly of the Beast, number two from Boob Studios, oh written God. by uh, and drawn by Michael Dialanis. 
This is following a creature that has been discovered in some garbage pits under the city. And a bunch of kids think maybe this is some sort of god, fairy type creature that the city worships. She becomes more calm uh, when she eats things. Basically, her powers are being hangry, essentially. Oh, man, I can relate. This is a great all-ages book. This is from the artist of Wind, and it feels very much of a piece of that. That was also something that dealt with cooking very healthily and well, at least in the first couple of issues. I really enjoy this. Love the design of the character. Um, this also reminds me a little bit of, uh, what is the Chris Samney and Laura Samney book? Una, the Unknown, or oh, something yeah, like that. I'm yeah. forgetting the exact title. But it feels like a cross between that and Wind with a cooking manga. So I'm very into it. Yeah, I mean, worth it for the art of alone, no question. It's really impressive um, artistically what's being achieved here. Just absolutely uh, so much fun. Love this world. More, 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 please. Yeah, I was trying to look up what the book is, but I ran out of time from you talking. Whatever that book is, it's a good book. Uh, why don't we move on and talk about Green Lantern number six. This is by Jeremy Adderns and Peter J. Tomasi, art by Zermonico, Scott Godlewski, and David Lefuente. In the front story, we're getting Hal Jordan versus Sinestro, who now has Rage Lantern powers. And in the backstory, yeah. we're following Sinestro's son, who is trying to live up to his father's legacy, leading into the Sinister Sons comic book that's coming. We should have also mentioned over in Action Comics, we're following Zod's son. The Sinister Sons book is going to follow Zod's son teaming up with Sinestro's son. So both of these books are on a collision course. Um, Pete, what did you think about this? Um, well, first off, like, uh loved the kind of like full page panel of how it started sinestro is such a great villain mm -hmm. and uh they did a great job of like not leaning into green lantern this issue really kind of made it more about sinestro which i appreciate um just amazing boss battle uh just so badass and cool um and the backup story just looks so amazing uh yeah love the backup as well this is another great package um smart move by dc being like we'll say it's green lantern but really we'll make it about sinestro so people can enjoy it well i think this is one of the more interesting hal jordan series that we've and, and stories that we've gotten since jeff johns was on the title they're making Woo! some huge moves here i agree with you the sinestro hal jordan fight is great the yeah. twists and mysteries around what's going on both with sinestro's rage lantern powers and also hal jordan's green lantern powers are really interesting and there is such a gut punch at the end of this story here that i 100 did not see coming i'm very curious to see where it goes in the next issue i agree with you yeah. on david lafuente's art in the backup story uh, it's worth it for the art alone, as I always say. Hey! Guardi uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, number nine from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Kev Walker. The Guardians of the Galaxy have been taken over by Groot and are slowly healing themselves emotionally and physically as well. In this issue, we're finally getting to the core of what's going on with Mantis. She's been 
dealing with all these different personalities. She goes on a classic road trip adventure with Gamora to try to get back the saxophone playing soul of Drax that has been missing in continuity for decades now, I want to say at this point. Great story. Really well, John. What'd you think about this one, Pete? Yeah, I absolutely love this. I love uh, teaming up these two. Uh, I think it really worked for me. Uh, kind of a nice break in all the madness that's going on um, with Grootfall and all that. So I just, I thought this was such a great kind of departure from that and a kind of fresh start. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love the art. Uh, I just thought it was just really nice and emotional spending some time with these two. And yeah, I just feel like it, it really did uh, uh, more of this. Just uh, I totally fun. agree. I've been a little iffy about the whole Groot Fall thing and this Guardians of the Galaxy run in particular. I think Kev Walker's art has been great throughout. I haven't been able to hook into the Guardians of the Galaxy. I liked where we got to here. The idea that Groot is helping them heal emotionally. Uh, I love that idea, but it seems like we're sticking with that for this issue and maybe not beyond that. So I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. Why don't we talk about the Enfield Gang Massacre number five from Image Comics written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. Really getting to the end here as Enfield reaches his final stand even though he didn't kill the banker that caused the law to come after him. We find out exactly who did. What'd you think about this one, Pete? I mean, this just continues to be great. It's a real, I mean, we're getting to more meaty kind of issues here, but this is just, I mean, the art pulls you into this kind of Western world so seamlessly. You kind of feel like you understand what's going on and, and, and are in this time period in such a cool way. Uh, yeah, this continues to be a hell of a fucking comic. It's gorgeous. I mean, I wish Justin was here because he's the number one fan of yeah. it, but I think this is such a good team. That Texas Blood is such a great universe. They're absolutely crushing it. This is a great Western story. Let's talk about two issues at the same time here because they're kind of the same issue, but even less so now. Radiant Black, number 27, from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, art by Eduardo Ferragato. And then Radiant Black, 27.5, from Image Comics, by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, art by Tobias Danilas. So they kicked off this event. You may be familiar if you're listening to the show, but you got Nathan and Marshall. They're two characters who both were sharing the mantle of Radiant Black. They made a decision to choose one over the other, and also the audience voted and made a decision. However, we're getting two linked series, that one that's showing us Nathan as Radiant Black, the other that's showing us Marshall as Radiant Black. As they fight their big bad, this robot sentience that is attacking earth and throwing them through challenges um, and seeing how Nathan would react and Marshall react. The last issue was for the most part with some deviations, almost panel by panel, exactly the same thing until we reached a big change at the end of the first issue. Here we get two almost completely different issues as they face the same challenge nathan and marshall oh my god 
I, I mean, I don't know if you also read it 27 to 27.5, 100% read it that direction because it's basically you read 27 and you're like, Ooh, oh, what shit. a gut punch. And then you yeah. read the second one, you're like, Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> God, oh my so God. Bad. What's happening? Why are you doing it got so much worse? <laughs> yeah. I hate decibels. Oh, this really fucks me up. Yeah. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's cool that it's like, uh, the same but different and and you know you kind of see different perspectives on stuff but man yeah it really just kind of heightens it um uh, yeah it it's awesome it's really cool it's very creative what they're doing the art is just so like streamlined and cool looking and futuristic in a great way has this kind of like cool anime people we talked about a lot but this is great. I love what they're doing. I love how they're mixing things up. It keeps things fresh. You don't know what you're going to get, which is fun when you're going to the comic book shop. And you're like, oh, man, what are they going to do with this issue? Uh, I just feel like they're doing a great job. Yeah. Uh, I will just ask you, we're not obviously getting into spoilers necessarily here, but Pete, are you Team Nathan or Team Marshall? Like, who do you want to be Radiant Black? At this I can't point even you? yet. I can't even yet. I need to, uh, to get... Oh, I'm 100% Marshall. Like, I've been Team Marshall the entire time because Marshall is more fun. But we don't know. We still got to get to more stuff. Jesus Christ. Nathan's screwing up so badly. <laughs> like, yeah, so but he badly. Oh, God, I'm so emotionally involved in this. I hate, stop making me feel things, but this is one of the boldest experiments we've got going in comics right now. It's so impressive yeah. how they're rolling this out. And like you said, both of the, the art feels complimentary, but it's just really well plotted out action sequences throughout. Let's get to one of my most anticipated issues of the week. I was really curious to check out this one. Outsiders number two from DC Comics by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Robert Carey. The reason I was so interested was, as we discovered with the first issue, this is a stealth planetary reboot of the classic Warren Ellis, John Cassidy series. Instead, we're getting Batwoman, Luke Fox, and a new character called The Drummer are exploring weird mysteries of the DC universe. Here... Not exactly their evil opposites, but they definitely get some opposites in terms of the new challengers of the unknown as they explore a mystery in the deep. Pete, what do you think? Does this hold up to the promise of the first issue? Well, I don't know about all that, but I do think this is epic. Like, I first off, great cover. Epic kind of monster pinup panels we get in this. This is very cool. The art is over the top bananas. Um, I, I it just I, I I like I like all the kind of monster stuff, and I'm a sucker for it. I like this issue as well. I, I totally agree with you on Robert Carey's art. I think there's just some absolutely killer monster designs throughout this issue. I like the idea behind here, which spoiler, but basically. Aquaman likes to go hunting for sea monsters sometimes, so there's a secret sea monster graveyard, and the new challengers of the unknown are guarding it so nobody finds out, and the outsiders want to not expose it because they're not superheroes so much as explore it and find out more about it, so that's how they come into conflict. This issue was a little bit of my expectations versus reality, where 
the first issue went so hard on the Wildstorm stuff with the authority and planetary. That's what yeah. I wanted a little bit more of. I also want the new Challengers of the Unknown to fit the same spot as the four did back in Planetary, which were, they were the villains of the piece. New Challengers of the Unknown, not exactly that. So I don't know. What I need now out of the third issue is a little more sense of what is the overarching plot of the series, you know, because we got them going hard and then sort of reiterating it, repiloting it essentially in the second issue. What is it going forward? But I, I enjoyed this. What, and is into this. what is it? What is it? Well, speaking of repiloting, let's talk about, or second issues, I guess, let's talk about Luke Cage Gang War number two from Marvel, written by Rodney Barnes, art by Ramon F. Box. Now, in the first issue, Luke Cage got a classic turd in his stew, as we know, where he was pissed off about vigilantes being illegal in New York. He is the mayor of New York now. And so he decided to take the law into his own hand, given the current gang war, and build up a team of his own. That's what we get here. Pete, what did you think about this book? Oh, man, great-ish. Uh, love the ending. Fun, uh, you know, uh, sweet Christmas line. Love Jess kicking butt and the cloak and dagger team up. This rocked. I had a blast with this issue. Uh, yeah. I don't love this, Pete. I got to be honest. I like the team behind it. I, again, respect them as human beings. But my last, the last issue I know I complained a lot about the whole idea of, like, how is Luke Cage doing this as mayor? I definitely felt that this issue as well, where he's like, whatever, I'm going to be a vigilante. And I was like, why, why are you doing this? Everybody knows you're the mayor. Just, I, I don't know. I know you can't change the laws, but why aren't we dealing with that instead of the dichotomy of like, I'm a vigilante by night, mayor by day. You know, there. I think there's more interesting political things to deal there. I also did not love the depiction of Jessica Jones in this issue. There's one point where Luke Cage is like, Alistair Smythe, the spider slayer is behind that. And Jessica Jones, who is a professional detective in the Marvel universe and very smart is like, I don't know your superhero stuff. Anyway, let's go punch some things. And I was like, no, that's not Jessica Jones. <laughs> that's not what she does. And then this is also, this is very much a minor thing that I don't actually fault the book for. But the fact that we've got Cloak and Dagger dealing with the whole Orcus stuff and Cloak has been corrupted by that over the X-Men books. And here he's like, sure thing, let's team up and take down this gang war. I was like, oh, this is, this is not gelling together for me. There's too much Cloak and Dagger going on at the same time. But that's all. I'm glad you enjoy it. End. Okay, great. Phantom Road, number seven from Image Comics, by written by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel H. Walta. We're following two people who are on a ghostly, ghastly truck drive. Uh, they discovered a weird egg in the back of their truck that is being attacked by a bunch of amorphous beings. Meanwhile, back in the real world, a detective is trying to figure out exactly what's going on. I believe she's either detective or FBI. I don't remember, but lots of stuff going on in this book. I felt like we got a bunch more weirdness, but also a lot more clarity in terms of yeah. what this book is about here that I thought was really interesting. I know we said this with every issue so far, but it stands repeating going into issue seven. This is one of the clearest Jeff Lemire stories that's come out in years in terms of plot, and I really appreciate that. Okay. Well, uh, 
Uh, first off, holy crap, what an issue. I mean, damn, this was intense. Uh, and then the kind of like creepy bear guy reveal twist uh, was was awesome, but scary as shit. Uh, yeah, this is, and I just love the art style, the kind of way the zombies are drawn or whatever the fuck they are, are just so cool. And the tone of it has this creepy stillness, especially around the bear. Uh, yeah, I think this is creative and weird and amazing and scary and fucked up. And it's just great. Yeah, Gabriel Uch Walta's art in particular is the real standout here. He has almost this like lumpy style for people like they yeah. sort of have wavy lines around them like they're sort of wavering in reality it's really interesting and off-putting to look at and complements the story very nicely really good book speed force number two from dc comics written by giant williams art by daniel DiNicolo and francesco motorino this is teaming up two of the speedsters in the dc universe Really like how this book looks. It is fun and cartoony. I'm having a hard time, two issues in, holding on to the story and exactly what's uh, going on here. You like it, Pete. Oh, I'm surprised. Take it away. Yeah, yeah this is great because it's not, uh, you know, about the fucking speed stairmaster or whatever the fuck. Uh, I, I just thought. What well, really... is your problem with the cosmic treadmill? Is uh, it the, just being such reminded dumb... of exercise when you're reading a comic oh, book? My... No, I just think that's the dumbest thing ever. All right, anyways, really cool art. Uh, love the kind of like manga anime style that it has to this. I I didn't hate this. I liked the young, different kind of take. It's it's it feels not like the normal kind of speedster stuff that we're dealing with. So I I had a blast with this. I thought it was different enough that I didn't feel like it was just running faster. I I enjoyed it. What do you think about the fact that throughout the book, they're like, hey, Pete, you haven't quite made your steps today. Take a walk around and finish off your ring. I'd be like, you're fucking dead wrong. Look again. <laughs> I'm killing it with my steps. You're killing it with everything, man. Steps, <laughs> stand, whatever the third thing is. Operation Sunshine number three. Sure. I get notifications from Pete, by the way, on Apple Fitness, and it's very fun throughout my day when I'm like, oh, Pete did a, did a workout. Nice. That's right. I love I'll that. do yoga. I'm not fucking above it. <laughs> Operation Sunshine number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Henry Zabowski and Marcus Parks, art by hey! We are following two vampires from very different points in their life cycle who are being set up on a heist by an older vampire. Mostly, though, they've been told to kind of wait and hang out. So it's a little bit of a slacker, chill-out comedy thing going on here. But mm -hmm. this book is so much fun. It really feels like a vibe more than anything. Yeah. I love David Rubin's art. I know we called out this before, but it feels like almost fold-out. You know, like a classic Mad Magazine fold-out, but in comic mm -hmm. book form. But the writing is so much fun. It's so funny. It's just playing to the jokes and the characters and the situation. I'm having a very good time. Yeah, I'm having a blast with this. Not only does it create such a fun world to play in, but I love all the characters. I love the, the, the back and forth. The, I'm laughing. I'm lost in this world. It's great. It's absolutely great.
Let's talk about Superman Lost, number nine from DC Comics, written by Priest, art by Dan Jurgens, Carlo Pagulian, Jason Paz, and Brett Beating, uh, Breeding. Excuse me. Lois Lane has been infected with pancreatic cancer by Lex Luthor in an attempt to draw Superman out of his malaise that has been caused by not being able to save an alien planet, among other things. Um, in this issue, they kind of deal with it. Uh, I'll be, can I say something up front, Pete? Um, yeah. I love this series. I think it's really well done. There's some great art and pages throughout this issue in particular, but I read this and reading this issue, I was like, oh, Pete's going to have a lot of questions about this because they're interspersing scenes of Lex Luthor imagining Superman killing him with the actual action of the book. So I'm going to be prepared to explain it to Pete. By the end of the book, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening here? Oh no, my job is to explain this to Pete and I can't explain this to Pete. And I think part of the problem here is there are so many artists on this issue. If they had switched between these imaginings that Lex Luthor is happening with like, say Dan Jurgens and the rest of the book with Carlo Pagulian, I would have been like, okay, I get it. I get what's going on here. But that's not what happens, and it's very confusing. What, at least to me, Pete? Maybe you can explain it to me. What's going on? Well, I I wasn't. I I thought it was a cool choice to show how stressed out Lex is by ha having him like just sit there and have all the time in the world mm -hmm. to imagine what Superman's gonna do. How's he gonna kill him? So I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Um, I just, I don't like how stressed I am reading Superman Lost now because mm -hmm. what's Superman going to do? I, I don't know. I don't like it. I feel like there isn't a lot of right choices here. He's fighting with Lois. I don't like that. You know, I, I just, you know, Lex is such a fucking asshole and I hate how like a part of Superman's life Lex is. It fucking, it's Lois is talking to Lex. I don't like any of this. But I also just think the stress of like, uh, it was similar to the stress of Superman uh, fucking up with his daughter. So like, I don't know, man, I think maybe the ramp of that stress and then this Superman stress was just too much for me where I was just like, I, I can't, I'm having a hard time with Superman lost right now. I think it's no, beautiful. I, I get it. It's uh, it is a very stressful series to read. I, I mean, I think in full disclosure, I think, think i know what is real and actually is going on here and actually happened like i don't think they kill lex there at any point necessarily no, but i do yet. think they figure out the problem with lois though i'm not 100 sure how they figured out that solution there's also without spoiling it the paddle at the end is maybe the most stressful thing at all that happens where if it turns out the way that they're teasing, it's the worst possible thing that ever could have happened to Superman. And it's so sad. So to your point, very sad series, but well done, well-written, very stressful. Comics and entertainment are supposed to get some sort of emotion out of you. They're supposed to eke some sort of emotion out of you. And that's definitely what this is doing. Captain America number four for Marvel, written by J. Michael Straczynski, art by Lan Medina. Captain America is fighting a new enemy who is this demonic entity who has taken yeah. over the body of various people. Here he tests the guy who is fighting up against him. And 
kind of loses over the course of the issue while he explores more about what that means. What would you think about this one, Pete? Badass issue, man. Uh, love the art. Uh, this cool kind of like softness to it, but it's very interesting. Uh, love the action. Cat fighting a demon uh, is great. Uh, weird ending, but I'm into it, man. Uh, more please. Yeah, uh, this was my least favorite issue of this so far, which isn't to say it was bad. I agree with you. I think La Medina's art is still very good. John J. Michael Straczynski. In particular, the fight that he writes at the beginning with this entity where he explains how Captain America first fights a new enemy. Mm -hmm. That's like classic JMS breaking down in a way that I don't think I've ever read before. And I thought it was really, really smartly done. Yeah, very cool. I'm not 100% sure what's going on with the rest of this issue. It breaks format for the first three issues, which is okay. You can do that. But I was getting settled into that, and I thought that was interesting. So I kind of wanted to go here. There's also a whole conversation about taking pictures of food that I was like, I don't know. We don't need to appeal to kids reading this comic in the middle here. It's okay, JMS. We're all old guys. Let's just read this comic book. It's fine. Um, So there was that. But... I like a lot of the stuff that's coming out of this book. Why don't we wrap it up with two Beast World titles? We got Titans Beast World, number yeah! two Beast Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Ivan Rice. And also, we got Titans Beast World Tour, Gotham number one from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, Grace Ellis, Gretchen Felker, Martin, Sam Mags, and Kyle Starks, art by Miguel Mendonca. Daniel Hilliard, Ivan Sharvin, Shaverin, excuse me, PJ Holden, and Kelly Jones. To be clear, If you're going to read them, read them in that order because Titans, Beast World, Gotham, Beast World Tour, Gotham picks up right after the end of Titans, Beast World. So they feed directly into each other. One of the complaints that Justin and I made with the last week is that they rolled out two issues. They're like, see Titans, Beast World number two, see Titans, Beast World number three. And I was like, I haven't read the, they're not out yet. Like, I don't know what this is referring to. So here, at least, we have a very direct line from one issue to the other, which I appreciated. But let's talk about the main issue first. You seem pretty psyched about this, so talk about it. Yeah, I don't like what you did here with this stack, where you took my two picks and you put them all the way at the end, where I'm fucking tired and beat up by your talking. (laughs) Um, So, uh, first off... I, I beat World, you do. Uh, Beast World number two, cool fucking cover. Um, I I love this. This was such a cool idea, fun to play with. Batman's a fucking werewolf. Oh shit! And then Nightwing has to fight him. Uh, cool last panel. I love the fact that like this is just great. This is just a fun, creative, cool idea that they're just kind of being like, let's fucking run with it. Everybody turns into beasts. Let's just have a blast. And I thought it was it's just great execution, amazing art, fantastic team on this. I I just thank you Tom Taylor. You continue to fucking kick ass and this is awesome. I really I mean, it's obvious per the title, but I really appreciate and love the focus on the Titans here that everybody else 
is deferring to them either by default or because they are supposed to be the premier super team in the DC universe right now. So that's great. Love the moves with Amanda Waller that's going on as well. I thought Titans Beast World Tour Gotham was very fun. The one thing I'm having. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, what? You can't just, we're just talking about this comic, okay? And then then I get to talk again, and then you get to, don't don't just double up. Oh, we're just talking about Titans Beast World 2? Yes, yes. Great. Good art, good action, great fight between Nightwing and Batman, very fun stuff. Great, thank you. Great, let's talk about the next one. Great, go ahead. Great. Uh, here's my one issue with this event, which... <laughs> frankly, is a reasonable thing to plot, but is bothering me as I read this. Well, the idea that there's so many stories where people are like, hey, man, did you hear about this beast thing that's going on? Anyway, we're just sitting in a restaurant and having a good time. And I'm like, what? Beasts have taken over the world? What are you doing right now? And it's it's crazy that most events aren't like that because this happens all the time in superhero universes. So... In our world, there's a lot of war- wars going on, and we still go out to dinner like, yep. oof, tough war happening over there. Well, anyway, do you want to get the fish or the chicken, or what are you thinking about ordering? So it's legitimately reasonable in terms of the way worlds would operate, but there's been a lot of stories like that in these Beast World books so far where people have been like very lackadaisical about the whole people are turning into beasts thing and just rolling with it until they're like, oh, wait, oh, that beast world thing we're dealing with. Oh, now here's a beast. Okay, I guess we got to deal with that. So that's a little wild to me. But otherwise, I'm having a very fun time reading this book. It's a very weird thing. Well, and I I thought this was a fun one. I thought the Batman Nightwing story at the beginning was fun. I thought the spoiler story was fun. I had a very good time. I think of the three Beast World tour issues we've read so far, this was probably my favorite. Yeah. Hell yes. Uh, love this cover. Really gets excited to read it, which is great. Um, yeah, I I loved the werewolf Batman teaming up with Nightwing, uh, f- fighting a giant crocodile monster that isn't Killer Croc. Uh Love the time that we got into Werewolf Batman's head, which was really fun. I mean, they're just, it's clear they're having a blast with this, and I'm having a blast right along with them. Yes. Yes. Make Batman a werewolf, and then he still thinks he's Batman and talks to himself. I just think it's Well, and also doing a Harvey riff with giant Batman, uh, giant bunny Harley Quinn very silly and really plays into the harley quinn of it all so great package good times and that is it for the stack if you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do patreon.com slash comic book club also we do a live show every tuesday night at 7 p.m to facebook and youtube come hang out we'd love to chat with you about comic books apple spotify android or the app of your choice to subscribe listen and follow the show at comic book live on twitter slash x comic book club live on tiktok and instagram comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more until next time we'll see you at the comic book club yeah, 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 yeah. Once a week, that blows on my-